Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. I'm David Rothkopf, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Rosa Brooks, a law professor at Georgetown University, a senior fellow in the New America ASU Future of War program, and the author of How Everything Became War and the Military Became Everything. Also joining us from sunny California, Corey Shockey, a research fellow at the Hoover Institution. She teaches Thinking About War at Stanford, Safe Passage, her book on the Anglo-American hegemonic transition, comes out from Harvard in the fall. And we also have with us David Sanger, the national security correspondent for The New York Times and author most recently of Confront and Conceal, Obama's Secret Wars and Surprising Use of American Power. Recently, each of our guests took time out from their roles as omniscient puppet masters operating at the true center of global power to have the following conversation. Guys, nice to be with you again. David, it's wonderful to be <laughs> so reunited. joyful! It's great. I didn't think I'd ever say this, but we missed you, David. Well, we missed, <laughs> we, we, we missed you too, David. Um, uh, look, yeah, We want you to know that, that David Sanger and I are in a padded room, locked in a padded room. <laughs> Some, somewhere, somewhere in Washington. Yeah. I can't tell you where. Yeah. I can't tell you where, but... Um, it's just me and Rosa and a very nice engineer. Well, you know... Uh, we can't say where because our devoted fans will go spring you guys free if we do. They do. They And Corey sounds like she's back at the bottom of a familiar well. Um, but we know because we... That's we, called California. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we said this in the open... Yeah. In the opening, <laughs> that you are actually in a studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C. Uh, so if they can find that, they can find you guys. Look, let's, let's, let's start out here. This is Deep State Radio. We're trying to go and get the perspective of the insiders on the inside. And, of course, everybody right now is focused on something they've never seen before, which is the absolute collapse, um, like a house of cards, although not quite as believable as the show house of cards, of the Trump administration at, at every level. And so what I'd like to focus on in this particular episode is the state of the Trump administration. So let me throw out one point. Trump twittered recently that the Democrats were obstructing his appointments to key ambassadorial posts. But he's only made a handful of the appointments. And of the 600 or so nominations he's supposed to hand in, he's only handed in a couple of dozen. So 
essentially, here we are six months into the first term of the Trump administration, and there's no government where there's supposed to be a government. And and somehow, because there's so much other news, this isn't a big story. But to me, this seems like grotesque dereliction of duty. Where do you guys come out on it? Well, it's not only gross dereliction of duty, but it's they are doing it by design, right? The Secretary of State has determined he is not going to fill diplomatic positions until he has done a review of how to restructure the institution of the Department of State. That will, at a minimum, take them four months, and then they will only consider appointments after that. It will be mid-2018 before the State Department has personnel in place. If they ever do. I, I think Corey's absolutely right, as usual. Uh, and this is actually for Donald Trump. This is a feature, not a bug of the whole thing, is, is you, you get to have a government without actually having a government. Uh, because I, I'm not convinced that there will be a process at state or anywhere else that will eventually lead to filling those positions. I think in some ways he's quite happy to have those positions be vacant because he's not interested in consulting with anyone who has, God forbid, expertise, uh, and he's not interested in being thwarted, and he doesn't want to trust people not part of his immediate circle with anything. He's not even clear he wants to trust those who are in his immediate circle. Uh, so I think this works for him. Um, I'm in uh, uh, complete agreement with Rosa, which I have to say since we're in such a small padded room. Uh, it's very wise of you. That's <laughs> yeah, very, very <laughs> smart. But, um, we do have to remember that you know, Rosa, Rosa often carries a gun, so... <laughs> but not right now. <laughs> that, at least, at least that's what I'm telling you. I, I've noticed that. Um, so, a few factors here. First of all, this is the most centrally run administration we've ever seen. And since I came to Washington from a happy life as a foreign correspondent. One day, David, you'll explain to me why I did that. That's because um, well, foreign that's correspondents because, have all been canceled. Yeah, it's we, because we don't need them anymore. President Jefferson asked you to return. <laughs> oh. See, I thought we were going to retire those jokes. Five minutes. I predicted to David yesterday, five minutes into the deep state before he took his first shot. But I want you to know, David, I've turned over a new leaf. And like actually, that. what's been going on is that is that Corey and I have been practicing every day. I call her and I practice saying, you're exactly right, David. I like it. Then I break out yeah. laughing. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Talk, so anyway, to back yourself. to the subject. Yes. Yeah. Back to the subject uh, at hand. Um, because it is so centrally run, uh, I don't think that he even particularly wants to hear from some of his top advisors. So he certainly doesn't want to hear from a group that he believes doesn't have the loyalty of having been in the campaign doesn't have much personal loyalty to him. And if we've learned anything in the past 130-odd days, and most of them have been pretty odd, uh, <laughs> we have learned that Hey, that, that was pretty funny, David. Loyalty, <laughs> loyalty is – see that? I, I got one from Rose. Um, loyalty is, is the one feature he's most interested in. So just think about the climate decision, okay? Imagine you had had a fully staffed State Department – with people rolling in saying, let's think about what this would do to the relationship with the Germans or with the rest of Europe or with the Asian countries or with Japan after uh, they had come together with the Tokyo uh, Climate Accord that preceded all of this. Um, 
he doesn't want to hear that. And as a result, I think he's figured that if he can neuter the departments, particularly the State Department, which he does not consider to be part of the national security uh, uh, infrastructure, he's perfectly fine with it. But he's not stopping there. A uh, member of our extended uh, deep state family, Susan Glasser, uh, former editor at Politico and at Foreign Policy, had a had a piece uh, uh, in Politico today saying that his own top national security aides, including Generals McMaster and Mattis, were shut out from his last-minute decision to drop any reference to Article 5 from his speech at NATO, for instance. The, the speech that they had seen, that they had vetted, included a line from President Trump saying, we, of course, stand by our Article 5 obligations or something to that effect. And uh, he, he Those are he the, obligations that. To the, the obligations that the U.S. will come to the defense of any... Right, the mutual defense obligations that are really the heart of the NATO treaty agreement. Um, uh, so apparently even – he doesn't even want the advice of the national security experts, the handpicked generals he's so fond of, uh, particularly when he can get pictures of them in their uniforms. Yeah. So, Corey, are you still, you know, of the belief that getting, you know, the guys like Ma- Mc, uh, McMaster and Mattis in there, you know, the grownups is actually making a difference? Or as some people, including our friend Tom Ricks, have suggested, you know, maybe it's time for them to just head out. The president's not listening to them. This idea that they could make a difference is just not washing. And they are simply being used as beards for the president sitting there alone or with Jared Kushner or Steve Bannon or somebody and making up, you know, sort of crazy decisions. Well, I do think the republic will be worse off if people of sense and judgment don't keep trying. So I would rather see them remain in place, even if they are ineffectual, because uh I think things would be much worse otherwise. I'm just back from the IISS's Shangri-La Dialogue, the big meeting of defense ministers from Asia and defense and just for our from listeners, IISS is, is something, and it stands for something we can't tell you about, though. It stands for is. <laughs> it's exactly just, never right. know. It's just the very long... <laughs> but it's really important. The international, and it runs the, the world. International, <laughs> the International Institute for Strategic Studies, which is the premier... Uh, membership organization of defense intellectuals. Uh, defense intellectuals, to and they published the magazine of defense intellectuals called Oxymoron. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but your point. You had a point. Corey had a point. My point was that the Secretary of Defense gave a genuinely outstanding speech, replete with the kind of assurances that our allies are looking for about America's commitment to the rules-based order, our enduring support for our allies, the essential contribution of trade to our security, um, it would have been unremarkable in any other administration. It was quite extraordinary. And everything allies are asking for, and I will tell you that every single question he got asked with some version of how can we possibly believe you given what the president says and does. That's right. So um, Secretary Mattis, Secretary Tillerson, and General McMaster, who is still active duty, have all said the same things. And then they find themselves getting undercut. The only good news for them is that they are not alone. 
So here you had a, a just prior to our recording all of this, a Justice Department that's getting ready to go to the Supreme Court trying to argue that the travel ban isn't a ban. Instead, it's extremely selective, well-done vetting, well within the president's purview, not an intended to be a blanket ban of any kind. And the president tweets out, travel ban, travel ban. Uh, and to the point that his own allies have been saying all day that he is undercutting his chances of winning the five justices he needs to win here. Well, you, so you have this you, you have, have this special s- s- scene that I just I, I want to interject here into your story of Kellyanne Conway on television defending the president and her husband, a DOJ lawyer who was a candidate to be solicitor general, tweeting out that the president blew up his Supreme Court case at the same time. A, a private lawyer who, was, right. who was, was supposed to go to the DOJ and withdrew last week, interestingly. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, essentially, if you look at the NSC, if you look at the State Department, if you look at the Defense Department, if you look at the Justice Department, you've got a president who's not listening to anybody, who is actually saying things that his team tries to clear up, but it's gotten to the point, as Corey says, where foreign leaders just don't believe it. And in part, that's because... That raises the question, I mean, going back to Corey's argument that it's still better for people like Secretary Mattis and General McMaster to to stay in, even if they're ineffectual. I think that's an open question, right? Because it depends it depends on what your your theory of change is with this administration. Um, you know, one theory, and I, I'm really torn about this, and I, until recently, like Corey, was, was urging good people to go in and stay in uh, and try to minimize the craziness. And one theory is that, yeah, things could be a whole lot worse, and we'll never know how much worse they could be if these guys weren't there. And thank God they're there, and we hope they stay there, even if it destroys them, frankly, that the nation needs them to do it, even if they sacrifice their own credibility in order to do it. Of course, another theory would be, number one, there's a sort of the selfish, you know, get out now before you destroy your reputations permanently. Uh, but 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 also just the theory that people of good sense ought to abandon this administration and let it collapse faster, that all we are doing is prolonging and agonizing death here. And it would be better. This is, this is a variant of the, the famous statement, uh, 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 sharp wars are short, which I, I believe is from the Lieber Code. Uh, maybe maybe sharp collapses are are shorter and better for the nation in the long run. Corey, if I actually saw a path to short collapse, right? Like like if I saw what that would be, I'd be a lot more inclined to support that position. But what I think I see happening, um, if McMaster Mattis leave the administration is that that reckless people take the you know luridly loyal to the president and not serious people take those positions and then you end up with even much more dramatic damage i actually think as bad as it is right now and it really is bad we are we are already incurring so much damage as a result of this administration but I actually think it's really important for um, America's friends and enemies around the world 
to hear the diversity of voices, to understand that there's a struggle going on to try and rein in this administration, and that people of good faith, both inside and outside the government, are engaged in that. But David, if they look at that, if, if, if they look at this, what they see is the following. McMaster or Mattis give a speech. Nikki Haley gives a speech. The president contradicts it. Professional career people in the State Department contradict it. The, 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 the chief of mission in London after the London bombings um, uh, or the, the, the number two guy in Beijing, the number two guy in Beijing just resigned because he felt he couldn't support the, um, uh, the stance of the administration to step away from the Paris Accords. So the question is, is America in the world in a better place if people understand we have a big brawl going on about the direction of our country, or are they in a better place <laughs> if to people just think that we're all the president to see the pres- president of the United States uh, moving ahead without challenge? And and it's a terrible choice. It's a Procrustean choice, but but I still think we are better off with good people contradicting the president and trying to persuade him uh, to take a different course than he's taking. You know, a lot of this depends on where you come down in the Rosa Corey debate about the duration of the administration. And while I hesitate to do this while locked in a small padded room with Rosa... (laughs) I actually agree with Corey on this one. <laughs> I, I, you know, I want to think I want to say about the pads in the padded room is they're they're pointy. It's really weird. They're pointy and they look dangerous. This is the heart of we'll the, take a picture and this tweet is, this out. This is the heart of the deep state, uh, Rosa. And these rooms are used for multiple purposes. Uh, that's what I fear. <laughs> that's so going to be David, the subject of a separate broadcast. Yes. <laughs> David Sanger, oh, go right. ahead, David. Oh, go no, ahead. Just go ahead. Agree with Corey. With Corey. Okay. Just go see if see what's going to happen to care. me. So, um, uh, I actually am not a believer that you're going to see uh, President Trump go anywhere in a hurry. I don't believe any of the Twenty Fifth Amendment stuff. We've seen no impeachable offenses yet. We have seen instead a series of bad judgments, misjudgments, and as you've pointed out, ignoring the judgment of good people who he hired, presumably because he wanted their advice. But if you think you're in this for the long haul, I think you've got to sort of come out where Corey does, which is you want the best talent in place. So the other day I was seeing a a very senior member of the administration, who was making the argument to me that while all this chaos plays out in on Twitter and in the drama that President Trump has always had around his operations when he was in the real estate business, that in fact they're going ahead and doing the kind of long-range planning and thinking about big strategic issues that ordinary normal administrations would be doing five or six months in and that the Obama administration did as it recalculated the Afghan-Pakistan strategy in 2009. But but so what? It, so what if the uh, right, president's and then the, not that's listening? That's the question. If the president doesn't want to read it or hear about it or care, uh, it, you can have all the policies in the world and it would be like uh, you know, my writing a story that nobody reads, not that 
that's ever happened. happened. Happened since yesterday, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, but but that's the well, you know that's it, the situation. I, we seem to be not just in a situation where these guys are not getting traction, but where we're actually losing traction, where the president is becoming more and more unstuck from any reasonable uh, behavior. Whether I mean, you know, it's not just things where some policy difference might crop up, like you know, sh- you know, should we do something about global warming? But he's attacking the mayor of London for telling the people of London to keep calm, attacking an, you know, an ally in the midst of a moment of crisis. Um, he's you know, blowing up his own Justice Department in the middle of their trying to defend him and his policies. He says he's going to fire Steve Bannon and those guys, and he doesn't do it. And they keep maintaining influence and driving the process. The president, you know, has people around him saying, don't tweet. And his tweets get crazier and crazier. It seems to me like he's actually disintegrating on the job and that all of this process and all of these wise people are actually looking like they have less and less influence because he's less and less moored. That may well be the case and you know, I, I still think the most disturbing thing to people in the administration is they have to wake up in the morning, read the tweets and then try to set, design some policy around it. Of course, that was hardest with uh, the you – know, it's, a, it's a travel Kofevi, ban. Kofevi. And Kofevi and so forth. What's interesting is he didn't tweet much during his trip recently to Saudi Arabia and to Europe. He was being kept busy and most importantly, he wasn't watching cable television. So you and think that the way wh- to save the nation is to start a conspiracy to turn off the access to cable TV. And have the, the NSA House. come in and say, uh, sir, we're confiscating any vulnerable devices. But, yeah. but, but, but your, wait, wait a second. He went to the Middle East, which turned out nominally better, at least in the days it took place. Then his trip to Europe and each one of the, you know, little calamities that happened around that. But now here we are a couple of weeks later. And the message that he seems to have sent to the governments of the Middle East is we are no longer going to be involved in affairs there. If you wish to go and turn some states that are allies of the U.S. against other states, if you wish to provoke um, conflict, um, we're we're no longer going to be involved as a as a as a sort of a rational voice in this discussion. Now, it may be that what you know it happened with the isolation of Qatar by a bunch of other states in the GCC is a good thing for good reasons. But in the past, the U.S. would have been more involved, and so Trump went there first, and it seems like his influence in that part of the world is either zero or actually encouraging freelancing. Is that wrong? I mean, do, you, do I have that wrong? I do have the sense that that other countries are have very quickly taken the president's measure and rightly understand that spectacle is the only thing he cares about. He, he can't pay the kind of focused attention to develop or execute policies to the extent that members of the cabinet can do it independently of the president, they are attempting to and are at risk of having the policy table overturned whenever the president begins to pay attention to it. But I, right, like the spectacle aspect is everything. Well, it's interesting. Now you've got Theresa May, the, you know, who should be Trump's 
sort of closest ally buddy in the world being forced because of Trump's erratic behavior and his attack on the mayor of London, who is increasingly popular because of the way that he's handled the recent terror attack, Theresa May had to go after Trump and and attack him um, in the midst of an election campaign. I also thought it was kind of an interesting footnote that, you know, somebody in the White House thought it was a good idea to float the idea that maybe Trump would drop by England later this week without seeming to have any idea that there was actually a general election there on Thursday. <laughs> he can go to the party. Yeah. No, I think that's right. As I was reading his condemnation of the um, mayor of London, the great Phil Clay tweeted out, was he looking at the bust of Churchill as he said this? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I mean, David Sanger, you, you know Trump. Uh, David Sanger put... David Sanger put Trump he, in power. You made him famous. He's you the one put, who put him into power. made him credible. And it's your fault. <laughs> um, but but one, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> you know, I was so looking forward to being back with the three of you. <laughs> now I'm sitting here staring at the pointed nature of the padded walls and wondering why I subjected myself. Because we to love and we you. We brought you here for, for for an accounting. We, yeah. Uh, no, but I, I have a question for you uh, that wasn't meant to be uh, setting you up, but a, a question since you know him a little bit better. I mean, one theory of Trump is that this is fine because he's used to living his life on the theory of uh, the crazier you are, the more press attention you get, the higher your ratings are. And so everything is working out grandly. Uh, I My ratings are excellent. I've got the media are just following me around with so much excitement and joy because they never know what they'll do. And I got them coming and going and I am a winner. Is that it, I mean, is that well, I don't, your theory? I don't pretend to know him any better than you guys do. I don't consider three and a half hours of, you know, interviewing him to sort of get three into Three and a half more than we've had, God, God help you. To yeah. get into someone's soul. I mean, if we, I've spent three and a half hours and more with David Rothkoff and – Thank and you. his soul I, remains do a, I dark, understand a dark him? hole. No, his soul, no. But as a, as, first of all, <laughs> um, as a member of the deep state, you know that that's not my real name and that I can't tell you anything true about myself. And as a member of the deep state, do any of us have a soul left? Exactly. That's another question. Exactly. Uh, but I, 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 would, I would say that um, everything that we have seen about him in recent times – suggests that he is far more interested in the size of the crowd, the size of the headlines. He was less interested in the content of Sean Spicer's um, right. press briefings than the television ratings of Sean Spicer's. Right. So I think your analysis is absolutely right. So America the movie is going well. America the nation, not so much. That, that's right. Now, at the same time, he has a huge ability to go blame other people when things go wrong. So one of my favorite tweets of uh, <laughs> recent times my has been tweet. the one in which he basically <laughs> in, he basically said, who let the Justice Department water down the travel ban <laughs> right. and come out with this second ridiculous version that's who going to the Supreme that? Court? Who, who did, did that? I'm thinking, the Justice Department, who do they work for? <laughs> you know, so the, fact that he is, the fact that he is willing to throw <laughs> Jeff Sessions, you know, under the bus 
um, for for watering down a travel ban when the first one hadn't been nobody got consulted on, I find pretty telling. <laughs> well, but but to think about that, early that morning, Donald Trump sat in his PJs in his bed, and he started. Going, damn! I'm so I didn't angry. Visual, David. I, I'm okay. wondering what, I did not what cartoon character is on his PJs? Do you think? Yeah, yeah well, he has cartoon what, character PJs. I don't know, but let's assume he's there in Yogi Bear Scrooge PJs. Scrooge McDuck. Yes, yeah, Scrooge. Whatever. He's <laughs> he's there in his PJs, and he's like wakes up and he's angry. Damn! I loved my travel ban. I don't like any of those Muslims. I don't think we should have any brown people in this country. What the hell? And he goes, "Screw the lawyers! I'm going to tweet this stuff out." And he starts tweeting it out during the morning TV shows where he knows it's going to go and attract all this stuff. Do you think you're only missing one thing? He's reacting to what he's hearing. I don't know what what that right. hour. First, whether, he has to get up and watch TV. If you could go back, you could find. If you can back up the tape by two or three minutes, you'll find on one of those morning TV shows the discussion that set him off. I'm betting. So, so th- but this is a yeah. Cr- David's right. There is culpability on their part, and and um, he's he is parroting what he is hearing on the least responsible networks. Well, well, uh, or, well, or I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure I was blaming the media, but I did like the part where you said David was right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Right. Good. I'm glad you're. I'm <laughs> yes, glad. I'm glad we're building you back up here. But, 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 but think about that. The the, the guy has no impulse control. No perspective, no sense of consequences of his actions, is just there reacting like, you know, an animal, a small child, you know, um, uh, somebody who has not quite got a grip on reality. And this is happening every day, and we're accepting it. We're saying, sure, sure, this guy. One of the best political cartoons. Yeah, you're exactly right, David. One of the best political cartoons I have seen shows uh, the seats around for the G7, and there's a high chair where the American flag is. <laughs> yeah, well, but that's 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 where it's we so are. It's so cute, guys. It's so cute. If he wasn't wrecking the world, or at least this country. Yeah, it'd be adorable, and or I'd feel a little sorry for him because he he needs a nap and he's he's out of his depth, and it's really not fair to him. And yet he is very rapidly burning through the reputational advantage the United States has. Well, as I said, if he he wasn't wrecking the country and much of the world, I would. would Well, it's not just. First of all, I think. But put that aside. I disagree with you, Rosa. He's not wrecking (laughs) much of the world. He's wrecking the whole world. If you pull out of the climate accord, you're going after oh, David, everybody. Don't be so picky. <laughs> you know, so he's but he's wrecking everything. Now, is the and and there is no sign that the advisors around him have any impact. There is actually some sign that he doesn't want to appoint any more advisors. He doesn't listen to us in the deep state. I mean, you know, except to, to, to criticize us, which is very hurtful. Excuse me, but would now you? Now, that's the real violation. <laughs> Good advice exactly. for free. I mean, not even we listen to ourselves. Yeah, exactly. He's saying, yeah, I'm really missing that. A couple of people sitting in a padded room with pointy <laughs> styrofoam, and I'm not listening to them. Well, yeah. it's really the only place to be. We haven't yet talked about nuclear annihilation uh, today, okay, I but knew we probably should I knew we'd Just get a there. moment to note. <laughs> Just a moment. Okay, to so note Rosa, that. <laughs> you already have our listeners in their bunkers. Yes, as they should food. be, because well. <laughs> because here is the deepest flaw in our entire system, and you might say this is a low probability 
event, but it's one of those low probability, high consequence things. Um, the ability of the president's staff or the uh, many people in the departments and agencies that make up the executive branch to put the brakes on a crazy presidential action, as we have been discussing, appears to be pretty minimal, even in the best of circumstances. And there is one area other than uh, deciding what Trump has for breakfast, uh, where Trump also has total control nothing in between him and and implementation of the decision. And that is uh, the use of our nuclear armaments. Uh, the only thing that those guys in the deep state bunkers, deep underground, wherever the heck they are, who actually push the button on the nuclear weapons or or type in the command or whatever it is these days, uh, need to know if an order comes down that says nuke them uh, is are there the correct authorization codes? They don't get to say, well, what, is, what does Secretary Mattis think about this? Because I'm pretty sure he thinks it's not a good idea. They just have to obey. So, so I thought I would just throw that in here, folks. Well, that, that would be the worst case <laughs> well, scenario. For our, for our you know, first mug for deep state radio, Rosa is entirely correct. And here we are uh, 50 years out from the beginning of the Six-Day War. And we reported in the Times on the front page yesterday that, in fact, there was a sort of doomsday scenario in which Israel would set off a demonstration nuclear weapon in the Sinai if they thought they were losing. So well, I think, we're not the only place that's mm -hmm, got unilateral mm -hmm. ability. Well, I think and that's, that's why being in the sub-basement, third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK is the only the, safe place to be. Yeah. So the first mug should say, I survived the apocalypse. With the so deep far. state. I survived the apocalypse with the deep state. By the way, listeners, if you've got ideas for mugs and T-shirts and sweatshirts, we're going to do all that stuff. So, you know, send them in to us via Twitter to the accounts of each one of us and, you know, we'll share them and we'll come up with them. But I think what it sounds like is that the big winner among the deep state listeners who are out there is that you get to go into the third sub-basement where you're likely to be safe from the maniacs who are running the U.S. government. I mean, down there. Maybe and that that's what we should do. We should auction off a little bit of bunker space <laughs> for deep state radio to finance the entire operation. That's a great we could idea. Off some of the little pointy, pointy pads in here. Maybe. That's right. that's I, a, I, I like the idea of a kind of. There are a lot of them. Bomb shelter timeshare kind of deal, yeah. you know, where people could go and buy two weeks. And if they're lucky, they'll be there in the right two weeks. It's. You know, in case you were wondering, it's not that expensive to buy an unused missile silo. I looked into it once, and they're 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 quite a bargain. We we absolutely could do it. We could do like a Kickstarter campaign and buy one. Uh, Are we headed in the same the direction as Major League Baseball, <laughs> where where we're going to auction off game jerseys? Well, that could happen. But I want to go back to this, Rosa. Did you actually research this? I did, yes. Yes, there was one in upstate New York somewhere that was only about $45,000. And I, I thought seriously to myself, <laughs> oh my that's God. where I could put all my canned goods. But then I remembered <laughs> that I don't live in upstate New York and that it would be hard for me to get to my bunker oh my when God. the apocalypse starts. I think starts. I want to do, I I wanna do a Kickstarter for us to buy an unused nuclear missile silo. You know, and I yes. think we should then, we should set it up. Deep state radio. Think, David, with a little bit no. of styrofoam no. on the inside no. of the silo. No. We could yes. broadcast. Yes. We could broadcast in there, and it would be the only podcast that survived. It would be the only podcast the to survive apocalypse. the apocalypse. That, and, and, and millennia from now, when space aliens come and excavate, they will, they will unearth it. 
and they will have their one insight into this civilization that once flourished here. Well, they'll find the three of us in there surviving, going, how was Corey doing out in Ojai, California? <laughs> how did it turn out for those people who were <laughs> in range of those North Korean missiles? Oh, God. You know, I have always thought that the Rocky Mountains were thrown up in order to just demarcate that everything to the east of them is strategic depth for my position. And everything going on in Washington only reinforces that for me now. Well, I think that's good. Now, look, we want to be balanced here in the deep state. Actually, we we don't care about that. The reality is we know the truth and we don't have to be balanced. We only have to be truthful. But let's let's in the last couple of minutes of this pilot episode of Deep State Radio reach out and try to find something that's functioning well in the Trump administration right now. Each one of you get 30 seconds. I'll go first because I already know the thing that seems to be functioning best in this administration because Wonder Woman opened with over $100 million, highest grossing movie ever directed by a female director, and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin was one of the executive producers. So terrible Treasury Secretary, but thanks, Steve Mnuchin, for Wonder Woman. (laughs) (laughs) That's most excellent. Uh, I will offer one that I think is going right. Um, The uh, change to the business climate with the expectation that the regulatory burden will be reduced. Yeah, yeah. Until, right. Okay. Until today, when <laughs> the price of oil started shooting up. But yes, Rosa, what else is going well? That's not a re- that's uh, not a regulatory I'm, issue. No, no I don't think true. we would have this this joyous encounter here in the third sub basement of the Ministry of Snark if it weren't for Donald Trump. So I thank him. Yeah. No. No one has. <laughs> no one has. No president has ever done more for the Ministry of Snark than Donald Trump. And I predict that someday, out in front of the Ministry of Snark, there will be a Donald Trump statue because we will be grateful for the golden years of <laughs> and Snark. He'll be in his pajamas. In his. May I say though, I will be deeply, deeply disappointed with our devoted listeners. I hear at Deep State Radio. If that statue is not perpetually in a state of vandalization, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, we'll have to we'll have to make it with Teflon or something, so it sort of just wipes clean. David, well, David, I'll, I'll give you two. I'm, I'm so generous today. I'm going to give you two. Yeah. So the first is he's saving the failing New York Times a subscription <laughs> net, net new digital subscriptions. We're up 300,000 in the first quarter. And I have a funny feeling that had Hillary Clinton been elected, we wouldn't be looking at numbers like that. <laughs> but let me, actually give you, let me actually give you a serious policy one. So far, and I would not argue that this is going to continue, but so far, I think he's done the right things on North Korea. And the reason he hasn't I, nuked them yet. He hasn't nuked them yet. That's good. Uh-huh. We're not at war. That's good. He has declared to all of our allies that it's not going to be like the old days where you kick the problem down the road merely because you're fearful of losing soul sooner or later. Now, I think at some point he's going to end up where all other presidents have been and he's going to kick it down the road for fear of losing soul. But for right now, 
he is making the Chinese and others do a new calculation. I don't think a strategy is going to work, but I do think it is refreshing after four presidents of two different parties who have basically said, ah, that's for someone else. Rationality. Yeah. So I would like to have an extended discussion of North Korea policy. I nominate that as a future podcast. Well, there will certainly like be a, there will certainly be a future podcast of that. Uh, there will be two podcasts every single week until we decide there'll be more. And also, the Deep State Radio Network already has plans for other podcasts. And the reason is that we have so many listeners out there who have been clamoring to get the band back together, who felt that listening to Corey and Rosa and David and some of our other regulars who will join us soon um, was the one thing that enabled them to cling to sanity or to tolerate the insanity of the world. And so I go back to Rosa's point. One of the very best things about Trump is that it has all of us back together again in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of Snark, starting a new reign of sanity, um, and, you know, laced with, um, you know, some profanity. Uh, and and that's, that's what I hope people can expect each week from Deep State Radio. Please come back soon and join us for another episode. Be a regular subscriber. And by all means, get on Twitter, get on Facebook, Tell your friends we're back. Tell them to come and see us. Build us back to our old audience of 100,000. Listen to the ER. Listen to those wonderful podcasts at Foreign Policy. They're great Wait, people. Wait, I thought we only had 12. I think if we can get 13, we're going to be pretty happy. Yeah, that's what I meant, 13. And if we got eight, I'd be happy. <laughs> listen, 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 listen to those other wonderful podcasts by all means, but come back, join us, and tell your friends to do it. We'll be back very soon. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Rosa. Thank you, David. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.